from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and we will be talking uh, cybersecurity and finance and banking and uh, from the perspective of a chief information security officer for uh, Jefferson Bank, a uh, bank headquartered here in San Antonio, Texas. If you're listening to us on 1200 WAI right now, you may be in San Antonio or you may be uh, somewhere in the middle of the U.S. because the AM signal blasts out there pretty strong. If you're listening to us on a podcasting service and a replay, thank you for uh, subscribing, joining in the CyberTalk Radio audience and being a listener. You can always contact us with feedback and comments and thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're active in both those places. If you uh, have a favorite podcasting service where you cannot find our program, let us know on Facebook or Twitter and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. So I am joined by Roman Medina, who's the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Jefferson Bank. Uh, Roman, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Brett. Happy to be here. Yeah, so the banks, the, the days of Jesse James are long gone. I think the only time we see now these like uh, brigade-style heists, like Baby Driver or whatever else, is uh, in, the, in the Hollywood movies. Uh, now it's, it's hackers on the internet. Yes, definitely. Yes, it's all, it's all cyber. It's electronic nowadays. We, we don't see a lot of the, the type of uh, robberies that you see in movies like you just explained. Yeah, uh, we, we were <laughs> doing some research before the program, and I couldn't even find an incident of a, a physical robbery getting covered by our local press here at a Jefferson Bank. But uh, knowing what I know about the Internet, there's hackers trying to get into your, your banking applications and infrastructure on a daily basis. Yes, definitely. The attacks have long gone cyber electronically. The more our customers, consumers wants to do want to do things online with their mobile phones, uh, that's changed the attack surface definitely. Yeah, as, I mean, if we yeah go back, uh, I was talking with a, a friend yesterday, um, and he's in the the payroll business, and uh, they started off payroll there where people would call in over the phone, and they would say Roman worked forty hours this week of regular time and twelve hours of overtime, and and then they would print checks and those checks would get couriered and delivered. So you didn't really have to worry about hackers in that world now, but like that payroll world as well, everything is digital and online and the customers demand that access. They can't just, uh, if they want to do banking, they can't go stand in line at a teller window for every activity. Now they want it on their mobile phone. They want it via their web browser. They want you to connect with their credit card company for bill paying and their tax uh, processing service and all the rest of these things. So the needs of the customer making your job complicated. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we we've definitely seen that shift in regards to now we're seeing the 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 loan application mortgage processing that being cut down. You can submit a loan app through your mobile phone, you know, be approved and accepted and in mere minutes or seconds. That's I mean just in it's amazing um that as you go through and so I mean this is critical as to why uh, banks need a chief information security officer and they need uh, someone spending every day all the time thinking about now we've created this new great convenience for our customers. What could someone with uh, no ethics or low ethics do uh, with this same tool or system to try to create uh, problems for us? Yes, definitely. The, the, the role of a chief inf information security officer, I can remember back from, you know, I started in banking uh, around 2001. 
as an internal auditor uh, shortly thereafter the bank I was at um, designated their first information security officer um, driven by regulatory bodies you know FDIC the, the Texas Department of Banking uh, to where now they see the importance of it where they've they've kind of raised the bar and said well you need to have an ISO but also a chief information security officer to ensure that your board executive manager is aware of the risks and threats in, in our cyber world yeah so uh, from a, a regulatory perspective I, I think if you li our listening audience um, as many of the folks are out there um, have businesses or um, use credit cards all the time they've heard of the PCI data security standard and PCI compliance and like that's one like if if you ask somebody to name a financial services regulation and and controls and those sort of things that one comes up but uh, you said you have you have regulatory from the FDIC from the the Texas uh, Department of Banks yeah. and so as you look at, at uh, those regulatory frameworks are there other national ones that are specific to banks and financial services folks um, yes definitely we we get um, um, so like I mentioned the banking world there there is a governing body that's the FFIEC the federal federal financial Institution of Examination Council, which is governed by the OCC, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, the NCUA. So they come up with these standards and guidance. And uh, But a lot of it does also stem from either NIST, what we see from NIST, the NIST guidelines. Um, so it's all, it's all kind of, you can kind of fit one program into another. But as far as on a, on a national level, there there is a, a cybersecurity framework. So that's yeah. been real big the past few few years. So NIST has their cybersecurity framework uh, that that a lot of uh, banks follow. So banks just want you to be following some sort of framework to to you have a plan, a program in place, and then to prove that you're executing. Yeah, especially program. as you're making those connections um, into the systems. You said in order to get that mortgage application processing done, I'm sure there's connections between your systems and credit reporting bureaus and other uh, agencies and other application processors. And it's important to make sure that everyone all the way along that supply chain um, and all the system interactions are all doing the things that they need to be doing to keep the security standards up. Uh, for those new to the program, uh, but like not likely new to hearing about this one, is uh, back when uh, Target was hacked, that came in through uh, a one of their um, HVAC vendors. So their air conditioning and, and, and control systems for their store locations, uh, one of those folks had a, a problem in their security systems. And because of their connection into the, the target stores, the attackers were able to, to use that as a way to uh, gain extra privileges inside of Target to eventually get to where they were able to capture uh, credit card information and purchase information uh, during that that attack. And uh, so as, as Roman's talking about this, it's uh, you heard him say in a third person, it's important that we're holding not just ourselves accountable, but all the folks that we're working with accountable uh, to have a high level of security because technology is so interconnected these days. Yes, definitely. We, we uh, in my, my organization, I also head up uh, what we, re we refer to as our vendor management committee, but it's all about managing that third party risk. So. Uh, we do so much ourselves internally with our resources, but we outsource a lot of, uh, it could be this one application to just do the mortgage mortgage intake that will then hook to um, another system that you can link to, um, you know, TurboTax to submit your tax returns or submit tax statements if you've ever gone through that purchasing a home and going through that mortgage statement. So we have a pretty robust uh, third-party risk management system where 
will will ensure that our vendors are also following the regulations and have the the right security in place so that we maintain that security from start to finish throughout yeah it's in here in san antonio and uh, maybe you really can't answer this on the radio but we'll ask anyways and find out uh so there's a, a number of folks here that do contracting for um, the U.S. government, and the, out of this year, that NIST 800-171, they kind of pushed that out to all of the, the contractors and all of the folks, and they asked those folks that are doing direct work um, to have a vendor management committee. If they're, you're doing direct work for the Department of Defense or other agencies, to go ask your, your vendor. So as a bank, have you had some of the defense contractors ask you guys about your audit controls and policies and standards? Uh, you know, we we have had some organizations. Uh, we might have we might have some uh, non for profits uh, that have accounts with us, and they'll in turn ask us for in the in the third party risk uh, area. Uh, what's really big is a SOC report. Maybe you all are familiar. If you outsource anything to a software as a service or a cloud service provider, SOC report is pretty much the go to. Uh, I think it's service organizational control. Report. So it's an independent report that an auditor comes in and audits for five trust principles to ensure that they're, they, they audit the development of their plan and then how effective that plan is. So um, we have had a few folks come in. Of course, the banks, we don't, we don't have SOC reports done on, our, on us, but we do have, um, we're on a 18-month schedule where the examiners will come in. So every, we're, FDIC chartered bank as well as Texas Department of Banking Bank. So we'll have examiners from those regulatory bodies come in. We just recently got put on an 18-month schedule because we haven't had so many findings or the audits have been cleaned. So we went from an annual schedule to 18 months. So congratulations! Yeah, yeah that, good that work. Was a big, a big surprise. Did you for take us. your team out for a celebration on that one? <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, we, no, we, that's great. We we were able to, I guess, put it off for another six months, but that's around the corner now. Yeah. So. So we'll we'll kind of have a letter drawn up saying we abide to these regulatory bodies and we haven't had any major findings in such reports. So yeah, it's a, for the company I run for my day job as well. We have a, a compliance commentary that we'll share with with folks because there's your specific standards in banking, um, and then as you said, you don't do a SOC one, two, or three report, um, and but you do all of generally all of the same controls that w they're audited by the FDIC um, or FFIEC, depending on yeah, who your auditor and where exactly that I guess comes in on. Um, you have all the same controls in general that one of those SOC 1 or SOC 2 reports would have in it. So you're doing the activities, you're making sure those activities are being done properly, you're just doing it through a different standards body. Uh, and for a lot of consumers out there, it's, it's pretty complicated and even for uh, businesses to understand this third-party risk and what compliance should I be asking my third-party providers to have? Where, where should I be worried? Where should I not be worried? Um, and I think it, it's going to continue to get more complicated before it gets less complicated. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah, the, that the, that threat surface is always changing the way they attack. And it, it might not be a sophisticated attack like you just mentioned in the target target breach, but yeah, definitely they're, they're always changing. They're always uh, adding new standards and new controls that must be in place. Yeah. You're listening to Cyber Talk Radio. This is 1200 WAI, and uh, we're talking cybersecurity and finance and banking. 
If you just turned your radio on right now, you'll be able to listen to the rebroadcast of this up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, January the 29th. It'll also go up every podcasting service out there. And if you happen to have a podcasting service that you use where you cannot find uh, our program, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. We will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt and we will fix that. If you would like to see a still photo of Roman and I, uh, you can uh, check out our YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. I know a lot of folks, uh, even though they, they don't watch the video on YouTube, you use it for YouTube audio and music. Uh, so you can subscribe to our YouTube channel there, uh, grab the episodes, uh, and uh, you can see what we look like while we were uh, in studio talking about this. But we have been asked about doing video in the past, and uh, we're not going to really add that. I don't know that uh, video content would really help us uh, do anything to improve uh, the learning and the uh, opportunity to, to share some good information out there with folks that are uh, looking to learn about cybersecurity and looking to learn uh, in today's uh, program about cybersecurity in, in finance and banking. So, uh, Roman, what are some of the kind of main concerns? We've uh, talked a little bit about the regulatory standards and, and uh, other areas, but as a, a CISO, when you, you wake up in the morning, what are some of those concerns that are on your mind every day? Well, definitely is, is uh, you know, managing and keeping oversight over our vendors, like I mentioned. The other, the other big part of it is uh, does fall with our employees. Um, we, we can have the, um, we can incorporate, have the best security tools, you know, in place, the technology uh, in place, but it comes down to our employees and them being able to act accordingly when they get that phishing email or when they get that um, pretexting phone call or vishing. Uh, type of attack um, yeah like we mentioned on the tar target it was a, you know a, a phishing attack where they kind of started that so uh, it's really important for for me that I worry about is m making sure that I've made my awareness and training or my point across to the employees where they truly understand those risks and and hopefully I've been able to translate that risk to them and and they understand how it'll impact them and the bank as a whole if they were to be uh, fall prey to one of these scams or attacks of uh, phishing or yeah i know we we've had um a couple of attorneys from uh, langley manac uh, on the program uh, talking about um, cyber from a law perspective and then one of them was a, a litigator there where uh, they ended up not necessarily with a, a phishing attack specifically against a bank but in the the financial side of the world during a real estate transaction a an attacker had gotten into the seller's email and had been in that email for who knows how long, and they were waiting for that seller to sell the house. And the the day before the closing, they the attacker went in and sent a, an email to the to the uh, escrow agent, the title company, and said, "Hey, um, uh, with selling my house, I'm going through a bunch of life changes. I changed banks as well. Will you wire the closing funds to this new location?" Um, and then since the hacker was in that person's mail, they sent it and then they went and sent items and deleted it. And then they went to the trash can and emptied it. And so the, the person that was the seller of the house didn't have any idea that they'd ever even sent that email until the day after the closing. And they're like, called the title company and were like, Hey, where's my money? Um, we closed. I don't understand why my bank's not showing it. They called their bank and like, they're yelling at their bank. I'm sure probably they're probably pretty upset. And their bank's like, I'm sorry, sir. We didn't ever, we never got a transaction. Uh, and through from that, they traced the trail of breadcrumbs down and realized that the title company had changed it. And by then, that money had gone into a 
U.S. bank, but then into a, a, a overseas bank, and then into maybe even two or three more overseas banks in in 24 hours. Uh, you can move money pretty quickly these days. Rome and I were talking about at the start of the program, um, banking and the things customers expect now is being able to access it in mobile, being able to do, we uh, I mean, even real-time mortgage applications online now, and that also means you can move money around pretty quickly digitally. So uh, if you wanted to learn more about that and really get a deep dive there, uh, it's up on our website or in the podcast is in the archives. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the kind of examples, and people are targeting uh, your staff much more so uh, than the staff at a restaurant. I mean, the staff at a restaurant, if things get hijacked, uh, stuff can happen. Vendor payments can get sent to the wrong place a little where, but um, your folks are, are handling the flow of money for um, consumers and businesses every day, all day. Yes, definitely. We've we've had we've had some some close calls with um, that type of attack, which is you know business email compromise or account takeover, where they'll inject themselves in that process. The, the days of them telling you to bring a cashier's check or a yeah. certified check to the closing are gone, right? They they want it wired or sent somewhere. So um, yeah, definitely we we take the approach where we'll, we'll, we'll you know know our customer. We kind of know know the flow of what's going on. Uh, as well as, you know, our, our folks look at those little little indicators to either the tone of it. Does that person usually talk to me this way? And I, I get a lot of uh, emails sent to me from our mortgage officers or, or business, uh, our branch managers. Uh, you know, this looks a little fishy. It looks a little funny. I've called my customer. I can't get a hold of them. But we encourage our employees to, to just pick up the phone and call. It's not, nowadays, you can never be too careful. Ask them, you know, don't worry about uh, sending me a lot of emails, you know, me and me and my team can take a look at that and help you validate it before we send that wire out to the wrong bank account. Yeah. I'm, uh, will guarantee everyone would like the closing to be delayed by a few hours versus all the closing funds ending up in somebody in the criminal's bank account. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's always one we recommend is is verify on a secondary channel. So if you get a, a communication via email that you don't trust, uh, pick up the phone and call the person, send them a, a text message. Um, and I mean, ideally get in there, they face to face with them because unlike science fiction movies yet, the, the criminals have not figured out yet how to uh, make somebody look and talk and walk exactly like your your customer that you know. Um, they're getting there on, on some of the... Uh, Email, though, and those other areas, if they're into your email box, they can scan your your email history and using some of the, the natural language processing tools and things out there, they're starting to be able to write very accurate sounding emails, even in um, the tone uh, and word selection that, that you would normally use. So the criminals are getting more sophisticated on that. But the chances that they compromise multiple channels at the same time is not very high. Um, but always keep your, your antenna up, and, and if really needed, if it's a big, serious something, tell the person you want to see them face-to-face. -face. Yes, and, that, and nowadays, whenever we we become aware of one of those scams, you know, me and my team will take the time to reach out to our customer. So title companies are a lot of our customers. Or if it's a real estate agent, a lot of time realtors will just use a Gmail account, a Yahoo account. So uh, we'll recommend ways for them to protect their email account so it won't be compromised. And the main thing they can do is enable you the two-step verification or two-step authentication, uh, preferably tying into one of those where it's a, uh, an app authenticator that you have to push into. Uh, NIST is also saying the SMS text messaging for that is, is kind of uh, going down in its effectiveness. So yeah. um, they still have got to do a lot to inject themselves in that process. Two-step verification is not a, not a silver bullet. That can still be 
uh, with a man in the middle or attack, you know, type of thing. But uh, we really do push people to do that. And there, there's a good resource online. It's a lock down your login that'll have the steps and procedures on how to add that to any service, Twitter, Facebook, Gmail. Yeah, I just I was reading uh, this morning before we uh, started the this episode recording today. Uh, biggest um, database of usernames, uh, email addresses, and passwords out there that's uh, ever been exposed as a single source. So, seven hundred and seventy million email addresses with uh, full passwords um, hashed uh, and, and gone through um, out there for sale on a, a dark web website uh, was uncovered by the authorities today and um, they can't really stop the criminals from selling that sort of stuff but they can at least raise the awareness of hey um, this stuff is out there and that's happening so the the two-step verification um, prevents those attackers if they get your username and password they can't get into your account without physical access to your phone or physical access to the the hardware token you have. Many of your important accounts, if you ask them, will they issue you a hardware token? In a lot of cases, folks will. Um, and, and you can you can use those uh, hardware tokens to, um, or the apps through your phone uh, to add that extra security. So is if you know your phone is stolen, um, you're going to deal with that immediately and you're going to go through the process. It's just like the days back when we used to get our wallet stolen. Now everyone, I think, is much more worried about getting their phone stolen than their wallet. Uh, it's kind of like the, the physical uh, break into the bank versus the digital break into the bank. So we're wrapping up January here, and it seems like we already had the holidays, and folks may have gone to, to vacation over the holidays, but many of us are, are thinking about spring break trips and traveling. Uh, do you have any tips for folks on the, the financial side of stuff? If you're going to go um, out of the country over spring break, or you're going to go spend money in a city that you, you aren't normally in, anything that, that you do or you recommend that folks do? Yes. Uh, what, what we usually inform our customers, uh, a lot of the technology we have in place, if, if you're going to be using your debit card or credit, credit card out there, if you do uh, inform us of where you'll be, um, on the flip side of it, you don't want to be somewhere and then those transactions are denied because that's not normal usage for you. So it's good to notify your bank if you have a good debit credit card or, or your credit card company like Visa, MasterCard, that you will be traveling. Give them the exact dates of when you'll be traveling. Uh, so that anything that happens once you return, if they see that happening, then that's a good indicator it's a fraud item. Yeah. Uh, as well as it's always about securing your electronics. Nowadays, we like you say, we can't live without our, our phones and such. So uh, strong passwords using the, 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 the biometric authenticators as well, uh, making sure those devices are up to date. You know, I would say do not connect to any free or public Wi-Fi maybe stick to tethering to your phone if you have that upgraded Wi-Fi plan. Um, th those are some of the main tips that definitely I, I would recommend to people that are traveling, traveling abroad. Yeah, and if, if you are going to connect to one of those Wi-Fis out there, uh, make sure your computer or your phone is patched and updated and uh, pick a, a VPN client. Um, if your, your work gives you one, then that's uh, good and safe and you can trust it. Uh, it out there, your mileage may vary a little bit on the VPNs. Um, some of the VPNs are uh, just another way to automatically become a man in the middle. So look at, at who you're buying the VPN from, uh, check the reviews, make sure it, it's trusted. Uh, I'd like to say that the app stores are perfectly filtered and clean all the time, but uh, not necessarily, uh, at least up to my level of hygiene standards. And if you're installing software on a, a Windows PC or a Mac, um, out there. Uh, they have app stores for those operating systems now, but most of the software that you get for, for your personal computer these days still is outside of an app store. 
And that's as trustworthy as anything you can find on the Internet. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of a chuckle there from everybody right. in the studio. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break here uh, at the bottom of the hour for a news, traffic, and weather update. If you uh, just turned on, this is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined uh, by Roman Medina, the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Jefferson Bank. Uh, we uh, get back from this break. I'll tell a little bit of a funny story myself when I forgot to inform my bank that I was uh, going to go on a, a trip somewhere and uh, how that whole uh, mess turned out for me. Uh, and then we'll continue on uh, talking banking security, some of the things that they're doing for their customers, maybe a little bit of history about Jefferson Bank. Uh, so uh, thank you for uh, being a listener at CyberTalk Radio, and we will be right back here after this update. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm joined this week by Roman Medina, who's the Vice President, Chief Information Security Officer at Jefferson Bank. Uh, the first half of the program, if you missed it, uh, we talked about some security compliance standards, uh, some of the things that uh, keep Roman up at night or that he's uh, worried about every morning when he wakes up, uh, making sure uh, that uh, you as a banking customers are safe and uh, things that... Uh, He's asking and his team is checking to make sure that uh, their vendors are doing so that not only are they keeping their own system safe, but uh, they're uh, ensuring that all the, the partners that they interact with are, are also uh, doing the things that they need to do because uh, the security landscape is a uh, complicated uh, beast these days and uh, requires really a, a focus and an attention. And I think this is why you're seeing uh, at uh, financial institutions and uh, really businesses of, of all type now uh, – dedicated security teams and, and and i think you mentioned a little bit roman uh you report up uh to the board and give them uh the, the board of directors of your bank a kind of information security uh report each year yes and um i've, I've worked at another bank and i won't i guess i won't say the name but uh and another company that was not a bank um but i've, I've not really had the face time with the board of directors like i have with my current bank that i'm at so there's there's two Two pretty big meetings that I have. One is my annual information security board report where I'll, I'll spend a good amount, maybe 20, 30 minutes, just talking about the state of our program, uh, the risks coming up, what are we doing changing as a bank to, to counter those risks. The other big report, um, we, we go through a breach response scenario. So we go through a worst case scenario. Uh, uh, we have a fraud, a wire fraud that went out. That's a million dollars. We have a breach at one of our vendors. Yeah. Um, something like that where there's a breach of non-public uh, information. Um, so then we'll meet and discuss the results with our board. We get them to ask questions. They start thinking about other risks. So um, that that is nice and good to have that FaceTime uh, with our board of directors. So 
definitely we we've all heard you know tone at the top and it starts at the top so having them aware of that is, is definitely key to having a successful uh, program yeah for for sure yeah and, and it's good to, i mean hear you guys doing the the table topping and the the running the exercises ahead of something because uh if, you, if you've as a business out there you're like yes we've got a, a business continuity plan we've got a data breach plan if you've never actually tried to use that plan in a real scenario the plan is not of of any use to you because if you're stressed out and panicked and something's happening and you, you're pulling that plan out of the closet knocking the dust off and trying to start read step number one uh, that's not the time that you're going to do well with it. So uh, it's it's very easy uh, to pull a scenario, like Roman just said, and spend a couple of hours. This is not days or weeks, um, and you can go bigger and, and go, but it, it pull it out and at least go through a couple of hour-long scenario uh, once a year because in the event that one of these things does happen, um, if without pr any practice, it, it will, um, I assure you, not go well. Uh, one of the, the items that it, you think, you know what, even I'm a small business, um, we don't even have a real business continuity or disaster or data breach plan. Uh, just go out to lunch, and you probably already do this with uh, members of your leadership team. And as you're, you're there having a, a lunch with them or in your next one-on-one -on -one talking with them, just ask the question, how would your department uh, run if none of your employees were able to use uh, technology for a day? So what, what business processes would have problems? Um, and how would we work around that with our customers or our suppliers uh, or our other internal teams that are reliant on you? And then you ask them, well, okay, well, now what if your your team didn't have access to any technology for a week? How, how would things work? And usually at that point, um, if there's a whiteboard in the room or they've got a pen and paper they can start writing down, they'll be able to write until they run their, their, their cramp their hand up uh, with the idea number of things that won't work if you don't have access to technology for a week. Um, and then you, you can ask them the third question of what happens if you don't have access to your team doesn't have access to technology for a whole month. Um, and a lot of times the reply you'll get on that one will be, well, by week two, I would have started putting my resume together to go try to get a job somewhere else. Cause if we don't have technology for, for 30 days inside of, of my area of the business, our whole company's broken. Yes, definitely. I think hand in hand with that is, and maybe you, when you're referring to technology, you mean also having the data available. Yeah. So you know, the technology network can be up, but I can't access my data. I can't access that information that I use to make decisions to, so that I can see account balances to make deposits or draw checks, you know, uh, on account. So it's also the, the, what if my data is not there and I don't have the backups for it and you yeah. know, that sort of stuff. Or so if the backup takes a day, a week or a month yeah, to restore. Really, yes, exactly. It's really, it's really eye opening. Yeah. A lot of times we focus, we, we can go a few hours without X amount of data and then the ITT team will say, Oh, yeah, we can restore that in one hour. Well, if it impacts five departments, you know, you're not looking at an hour restore if it's if it's all coming from the same backup environment. So, yeah, definitely. You got to really think about those scenarios and how they might impact your your recovery times as well. Yeah. So before the break, I we you you had given a couple of uh, travel tips um, and uh, I did not follow those travel tips on one of my own trips. So I was I was working a whole bunch and I had a, a friend call me on a Friday and he said hey how about coming to join me for the the weekend uh, maybe or maybe stay a little bit longer uh, and so I, I went online bought a, a plane ticket a one-way ticket because I wasn't sure what time I was coming back and um, it was like the flight was within 90 minutes so I bought the plane ticket I hopped in my car I drove to the airport I dropped my car in, in the parking and went in and hopped on the flight and then landed at the other end and um, my, my credit card worked 
once at the other end. So I, I picked up a, a car service from the, the airport. This was flying up into the New York City area. And I, I took a, a, a shuttle van car service thing uh, up the coast into Connecticut. And I, I got up there into to Connecticut and went over to a clothing store because I didn't pack any clothing. I was like, I'll just I needed to go shopping anyways. I'll I'll just shop when I get up there because I didn't think I could go home, pack and then get back and still make the flight. Uh, so I, I get to the store and I pick up a few hundred dollars worth of stuff and I go up to the cash register and I, I go to swipe my card and they go, sorry, sir, your card's declined. And and I was like, well, can you try it again? My card's fine. Like this is just a few hundred dollars worth of clothes. I'll be OK today. And uh, they tried again. And it didn't work. And, and so I, I pulled uh, m- uh, my second card out. I carry two cards, one that I use kind of all the time and then the other one's the backup card like it's activated it's there it carries a zero balance it's like it's my emergency fund card and so i pulled that one out and had them swipe that one it got flagged too did, did not allow the card to go through um i said i'll just hold on for a minute i'll go over to the atm i'll go down the street to an atm i, I won't use my debit card personally as a, a credit card at, at swipe registers that's my own one of my own personal security controls i don't do that uh, so i went down to try to go get cash at an atm and well, one, like you can only you can barely get 300 bucks out usually at an ATM, two or 300 bucks. But the even my my uh, debit card got flagged at the uh, ATM for not my bank wouldn't authorize the funds to to Connecticut because my bank didn't was think it, I was, was up it, in Connecticut. Yeah. Not normal usage. Yes. Yeah, not normal usage, because like I, I probably had used that ATM just yesterday afternoon or whatever in San Antonio, Texas. And now here I am less than 12 hours later or whatever, trying to use it in another state halfway across the country with no notice to them. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm up there and I hadn't even packed a cell phone charger. So I'm, I'm trying to get in the phone to talk to the bank and the credit card. And the, the credit card company was so upset with me. They told me they wouldn't even turn the card back on. They're like, we're, we're not doing it. It's Friday afternoon at this point. And I was like, well, who can you escalate this to? Well, we can escalate this to somebody on Monday. Have a nice weekend. Right. Uh, yeah. So that was that was Brett's lesson in in don't don't uh don't do that and like they had my best intentions because like I wouldn't really have been happy if somebody else had um, I don't know stolen my wallet bought a one way plane ticket and then went and bought the hundreds of dollars worth of stuff and then if it would have worked they probably just kept going around Connecticut probably gone out to dinner and spent more money and gotten a hotel room or whatever else and spent more money until they had filled my card up so I, I can't be upset at, at my financial institution for for my poor behavior. Uh, yeah. So as, as Roman was saying, if you can give your bank a heads up and you give your credit card company a heads up, call them ahead of time. Uh, cause it'll just take a, a moment to inform them. Um, and, and many of them now, this was years ago uh, when I think folks were first just getting that location awareness into their systems. Now they'll potentially send you a text message or they'll even proactively call you right away. So like you'll swipe your card in out of state or somewhere where you didn't think you were and your phone will ring and you're like, well, hello, how are you? And they're like, Hi, I'm I'm Bob from the bank, and I just had your credit card attempt to be used at uh, Joe's Clothes Shop uh, in Connecticut. Is this you? And you're saying, yes, this is me. And then so they've they've gone and done as we were talking about that second channel verification. So here I am trying to use a card, and now they're calling my phone number that's on file with them. They're getting me live as as a voice. So chances are that the the attacker stole all of my cards and stole my cell phone without me knowing about it and calling in and. Uh, pretty low. Um, I don't think that most banks, I would guess, do not have a recording of my voice on file yet to know voice pattern matching if it was really me if I answer. But they're, they're, 
maybe out here in the future we'll get to where you've got a voice print biometric like we do for our, our thumb or uh, our face scan or other things for these devices these right. days. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. We'll see where it takes us out now. They're, you know, saying they might use different different, uh, uh, you know, you know, biometric points where your voice, you know, uh, uh, yeah, your thumbprint or face print, different different characteristics to come up with with your authentication, you know, your identity, proving it's you. Yeah. Oh, um, so one of the things that uh, I also think you guys do, I want to commend you here on air for is uh, having a, a cybersecurity day for your customers. Um, so if you, can you share a little bit about how did that get started up at the bank? And kind of, I, I know you mentioned that this from the top down, your board is interested in this. Uh, but is, is it your, somebody on your board there, your chairman, or how did the cybersecurity day get started? Well, I've been with Jefferson Bank. It'll be it'll be five years in February. And when I when I started at Jefferson Bank, uh, they they were they already had it in place at the time. It was called the Cash Management Symposium. So cash management is a term in banking where uh, it's it services to commercial customers, small business customers, or, or or business customers that may run their own. They can they have access to do their own wires, their own ACHs. They might run payroll through our bank. So. Uh, these higher risk type of customers. So there, there is a regulation that talks about uh, at the time it was Cato for corporate account takeover that just stated you have to have a security awareness program. It didn't really say what you had to do, but um, somewhere along the lines, I think I think it was our e-banking team that had the idea of sponsoring a luncheon, uh, and it started off as a as a uh, we had a, a breakfast and a luncheon where we'd invite speakers, outside speakers. Brett, you you were our, our main speaker this past uh, this past uh, symposium now now it's called the cybersecurity symposium so as the risks have evolved and everything is now cybersecurity cyber threats related uh, it's now dubbed the cybersecurity symposium um, so so we invite our our customers primarily commercial customers that have that level of risk because of the online or electronic activity that they perform so uh, we've had we've and we do different talks. We've had talks where someone will come in and talk about cyber insurance. We've had someone come just talk about you know protecting your identity, uh, different cyber related uh, talks. So uh, we usually have a good turnout uh, with our customers, and we take that extra step. We have our customers a lot of times will call us afterwards, wanting to you know who was that speaker, what company was it, and we'll give them that information, or they'll come to me and say. You know, you, you talked about, you know, do you do fishing exercises with your own employees? How, how could I do that? What do you recommend? And, uh, you know, by all means, me and my team will we'll recommend something. We'll work with our customers uh, in that regard. But we're now going six years on having that done. We have it in October during, you know, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, but we'll, we, this, you see, this last time we had it at the San Antonio Country Club. So we'll have a nice lunch for our customers. Um, going off the top of my head, I think we had about, 80 maybe a little under 100 somewhere around there it was a really uh, engaged audience yes customer customers show up uh, to listen and, and I, I gotta say that was the we do a survey afterwards and um, that's been the, the most positive feedback they really did like the speaker they liked the topics they, they really felt they learned and took something away from it so yeah kudos back to you Brett. Well, it was yeah thank you no i appreciate you as a, one of the I mean, big reasons why we do cyber talk radio here to try to get the awareness out on these things and uh yeah if you you would like to have me out at your event uh let me know because i'm uh there's not enough education to go around out here um 
folks are coming up with new stuff all the time. And yeah, one of the people asked me as, as well, what can you do to uh, test your employees for a phishing attack? I was like, it's pretty easy. Just send them an email that says, hey, will you log into our, our bank and uh, set up a, a wire transfer for for me to uh, approve uh, for and, and create a, a new vendor? Um, I'm out of the office right now and I'm I need you to do this immediately. Just send something like that to one of your employees in, in your, your treasury or accounts payable. And if that's not normal course of business, which that's not normal course of business for most of us, you're not going to send a, an email about an urgent wire transfer to to your accounts payable person. Um, then like that person should know that they can text you, call you, um, and not just reply back to the email, but they can go to a second channel and verify that. And if they don't go to a second channel and verify it, then you can go do some more awareness training inside of your company uh, about this. Um, one of the the other ones I'll, I'll mention here um, that business email compromise Roman talked about is um, folks are always looking uh, to try to compromise the accounts payable and accounts receivable uh, employees that have access to set up uh, vendors and merchants and things inside of your uh, systems. Um, because if let's say that I'm a... Uh, a construction company and I write big I do big weekly or monthly wire transfers to a material supplier or a big ACH to a material supplier if I can compromise the email account of the accounts receivable person at the material supplier and then I can go through and look and say oh looks like Joe's construction company does three hundred thousand dollars a month with us so I email the accounts payable person at as the criminal over at Joe's construction and say hey um, uh, Bob over there, uh, Joe's Construction, uh, we've uh, updated our, our banking uh, information and material supplier. Can you update that in our, our payee in your system? The large ACH or wire transfer um, will require dual auth authorization. Updating the bank routing information um, and account hold number information on a payee in many systems does not require technologically right now a dual authorization. Um, but you should set up internal processes where if, if you have a major vendor like that that you're sending real money to, verify out of band, call the person back up over there at the material supplier and go, hey, I just got an email from you saying that uh, we need to update banking information for you and then just verify the account number and the routing number and everything over the phone with the person. And usually what will happen in that scenario is you, you'll be able to feel the person turn pale white over the phone because they, they pretty quickly get the, the realization of what this could have meant if you would have done, if you would have updated it is what ends up happening is then the material supplier sends a regular real invoice through and then that real invoice gets paid and then the money goes off to the wrong place and then two weeks later the material supplier calls the construction company up and go, hey, why didn't you pay me on time this month? Right. And they go, well, we did pay you. Here's the record of the money we sent you. And they go, well, where'd you send it? And they go, well, you, here's the email where you sent us two weeks earlier to, to update the pay information. And so it might be 30 or 45 days before anyone realizes that the money's gone to the wrong location. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it, that it succeeds. Like you said, the, there, there might still be an approval process for that invoice, but they just see I'm paying uh, supplier one. They just see the name. Yeah. They say, oh, yeah, they, they did do work for us, so I'm going to approve this invoice, but they don't see the numbers behind it. No, no one keeps keeps track of those account uh, numbers. Yeah. The, the yeah. You would like to say that every CEO or CFO or uh, has every account number and every routing number of every vendor memorized in their head? No, none of them do. And, like, you have a process you should go through and, and double-check and verify those big ones. Um, but, the, yeah, it's it's 
with the numbers of transactions moving around, um, you've got to right. trust that payee information is correct in many cases. Yeah, definitely. We, we've seen some of those attacks against our own uh, CFO. It's either CEO, CFO fraud. Yeah. Um, I mean, a very simple, low-tech, hopefully non-cost control. Like what we've done is um, with our with our email gateway, we'll, we'll tag every email coming in from the outside with an external tag. So yeah. something very, very minor. Uh, you know, nothing's 100%, but... Uh, then we tell our employees, if you see that external tag in front of the subject line, that is not coming from the CFO. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why would the CFO send you something with the external tag? So, so you know, one simple control yeah, that's that can a, help that's combat a, that. That's a really easy and great way um, to, to flag that because it just shows up in the subject line. You don't have to worry about people clicking the view more details to really, like, double check the real sender email address or the view extra details to look at the mail header and you don't have to teach your team what a what a email header looks like you can just say if bracket external bracket is on the front of the subject line this did that's, not come from one of our employees right definitely yeah yes. no that's a, a great tip so uh do you ever get phone calls uh, from customers and man you don't have to uh say any specific who they are but uh, where you can you, you hear the, in their voice across the end of the phone line that their face is already pale white and that something's happened and they they don't have an expert in their team but they're reaching out to you as, as their bank or uh, just as a security professional that they know uh yes definitely you know three uh several we've talked about business email compromise so i get those phone calls um, but we did have a ransomware event. One of our customers did call in um, where a lot of their uh, financial records were locked up. Um, it didn't really impact them from a banking standpoint, but they, they were turning to their bank for, for help. Yeah. You know, it's, it, oh, it has a lot of my um, uh, bank statements and this and that, and I can't get to it. So that's kind of how the conversation started up. So, but you could definitely, like you said, yeah, you can hear the concern uh, in their voices. It's like, this says I need to pay them. Should I pay them? You know, what's a Bitcoin? What's, what's a crypto? Should I do it? What can I do to recover from this? And, you know, uh, uh, and, and this was a commercial customer, you know, fortunately sometimes some of these, depending which, which, uh, ransomware, uh, type of uh, virus or, or Trojan that it was, um, um, you know, it's hard to recover from it, right? The best, the yeah. best defense that we've told our customers is, do you have a backup of that data? Hopefully you have a backup, it's offsite. It's separated, not from your main computer. Um, another another tip that we kind of uh, uh, give our customers is um, have a separate computer that they use just for online banking. You know, don't don't let anyone surf the web on it. Don't uh, you know let the accounting person or HR person or whomever is doing that. You know, do do other activity. Access your Gmail. Access your Yahoo. Nothing personal. The only thing I want done on this is the online banking portion. So yeah. you kind of set, separate and segregate them that way. And then the, the other response to my customer was was also just, you know, you need to engage your IT team, your IT security team. Uh, definitely give them uh, resources here locally that they can go to to help them recover. Hopefully they can uh, somehow recover from that ransomware event. But um, so that that's one of the big ones that, that comes to mind. Uh, definitely it wasn't really a financial loss. But you could hear the concern with, I, can't, I don't have my data. You know, yeah. sometimes that, that data is probably worth more than, than some of the, the dollars. And, and there wasn't a personal aspect. Was, you know, I've got kids and my pictures of my grandkids in there. And, you know, I really yeah. want them. I don't have them anywhere else. So it was something very hard to recover from. But, you know, I really felt for them at that point, you know. But uh, with some of those scams or ransomware, you can only do so much if you don't have the backup. I would say that's a key thing. It's not, you can't prevent it, but, you know, at least you can recover from it. 
yeah and you you should have i mean all of those those things uh up front as well um something on the network trying to minimize the chance that you get the ransomware and doing the the awareness training about um assessing risk on emails or websites and and things before you're you're out there wandering around the internet uh, just the same way you would assess risk if you're going to go out and walk around streets in a city you're going to do things to to look left and look right and and make sure that you're you're staying safe in the physical world you've got to have that same kind of awareness when you're on the internet just because it's a computer doesn't mean that it's it's automatically safe and carefree you're not um in disneyland right definitely yes and um, let me see the other the other type of uh, attack or or something that we've seen at our bank. We haven't seen a lot of it, but we did see we did have kind of a, a small, uh, I guess referred to kind of like a money mule uh, type of. Uh, uh, they found someone saying, "I'm going to be sending you uh, these checks. You know, go deposit them into your account." And then we started getting some checks returned. They were flagging in our tools as being potentially malicious or fraudulent. Uh, you know, there's some nefarious activity going around with these account numbers, these checks. So. Um, we got local law enforcement involved when we brought in the the account holder they had no idea so they were just that middle person that mule did and yeah. and they they really thought it was a you know it was like well you know i'm doing they were being friendly i'm and doing this job and i'm taking these checks and i'm depositing in helping them move it but they're basically helping them funnel embezzle money you know launder money out so um and that one you know uh the young ladies you know terrified scared you know did something wrong because the the cops just know it's your account you're doing this you're sending it off to these other accounts that that are known criminal accounts or have criminal ties to them so uh yeah that's the those were definitely where you you feel for the the individuals because nothing that they did on their part but they're just you know they're they're a victim to it yeah so you've been listening to cyber talk radio on 1200 wai we've been talking cybersecurity from a financial and banking perspective with roman medina the vice president and chief information security officer at jefferson bank if you uh, just tuned in right now you can listen to the rebroadcast of this up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on tuesday january the 29th uh, you can also find all of our our past programs there uh, where we've gone through and uh, had some attorneys on talking about these uh, things of like what happens when it really goes bad um, all the way uh, to just uh, technical experts doing deep dives into different areas of cybersecurity. And if you're a parent out there um, thinking, you know what, uh, this doesn't make any matter to me. I'm just a, uh, I work for somebody else. I don't think about this. If you've got kids, um, there's lots of jobs in cybersecurity in San Antonio and all across the country. Uh, we've had um, educators on from different universities uh, in the area talking about what they do and then what uh, your kids can go